Now, as we were getting started last week, we made it all the way through verse 1. And, uh, but this is in-depth study night, so we're not surprised when that happens. It says there in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, once again, it says, Let every soul, every soul, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And so everybody is to submit to the authorities over them. Now, as we talked about last week, we have some pretty oppressive authorities throughout history. But even then, God had a plan to turn it around for good. The Bible says that God can raise up and that God can bring down. And if God has raised up and whoever's there, it's a clear message. And as I had mentioned last week, the Bible makes it clear to us as Christians that God is speaking through authorities, good or bad. Because the Bible says, if my people will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, the land will change. I will heal the land. And so if we are in a wicked country and we have tyrants for leaders, it's not because evil has gotten more evil. It's not because Satan got stronger. It's because God's people are not humbling themselves, seeking his face, and turning from their wicked ways. And what's happened often in the church is we say, we've got to get more politically active, you see, and change things. Because the wicked people need to quit being so wicked, and what we need to do is get more righteous leaders in there to get better laws, to legislate more righteousness, so therefore we can have our country cleaned up. Folks, that may be a answer down the road, but it's not the answer. Because remember, as we had studied in Timothy, what are laws for? Laws do not help people be better. All laws can do, all they can do is restrain evil. All they can do is hold back the floods, hold back the opening of the damn gates before the floods come. Just hold those back. That's all that the laws can do. You don't tell people, don't murder, and then all of a sudden you get this noble man. It doesn't work. We say don't murder, and if somebody doesn't murder, that doesn't make them a good person because they didn't kill somebody. But the law is there, you see, to suppress that person who wants to fly off with his anger, wants to become an irate person, wants to become an evil person, that law will suppress the evil if, as we learned in the Old Testament law, if the punishment fits the crime and the punishment's handed out speedily. If it doesn't fit the crime, it won't work, and if it's not handed out speedily, it won't work. And unfortunately, both of those things are not happening in our country. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. And um, unfortunately, it's not happening quickly. But nevertheless, our role is set. We need to have a submission towards those who are in authority. 
Now again, as we are looking at the process of sanctification, God has made us holy. God has made us righteous on the inside. For that now to become visible on the outside, number one on the list is that heart of humility, that heart of submission. Absolutely essential. And I don't think there's anybody on planet Earth that says, we've got the perfect government. I would say if you took a poll, everybody in the world thinks they pay more taxes than they should. Everybody in the world thinks that there's laws on the books that shouldn't be there. There's nobody that says, man, I agree with every bit of what's going on in our government. I don't think there's any government in the world. And I think it's that way because man's involved and it's corrupt. But it comes back to us, you see. The issue comes back to us. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to deal with that? And as we get on in Paul's epistles, we see that he starts breaking that down. For instance, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he goes on in Peter to add, wives, if your husbands are not obeying the word of God, you without a word as they observe your lifestyle will be convicted by their sin. When they see your holy reverence and as Sarah who called Abraham Lord with this godly fear, not out of terror, but out of a godly fear of respect, knowing God has put Abraham in my life as an authority, the Bible says that God was glorified. And then the Bible goes on to add, and if you are submitted to that authority, God will watch that authority. So husbands, if you don't treat your wife as God wants you to treat your wife, the Lord's going to not hear your prayers. In the same way we've seen through history, when man will not obey God in his place of authority, God will deal with them. We see Nebuchadnezzar there in Daniel chapter 4. Remember there as he's lifted up and he says, look at all that I have done looking at Babylon. God struck him down. He became, he lost his mind, and he started wandering around in the fields like a cow eating grass. His hair grew out like the feathers of a bird. Of course, that would be cool today, but it was bad then. And his nails grew out like the claws of a bird. Again, that would be hip, but then it, this, was, this was punishment, okay? Today it means you're a movie star. Back then it meant you were a punishment. But anyway, and he wandered around like this for seven years. And then he looked to heaven and he said, you alone are the authority that's going to last forever. Your reign is without end. Your dominion is everlasting. As man, we're dirt. And then his mind came back. And then God restored him and made him a greater king than he had ever been before. And there he says in Daniel chapter 4, I've learned God is really in control. And he can humble whomever he wants. And he learned. We see this with Herod. How there in Acts chapter 12, he had killed the apostle James with the sword. He was going to kill Peter the next day, but an angel supernaturally released him out of prison. But yet God's anointing remained on Herod, even though he was wicked, because he was in that place of authority. And as he went down to Tyre and Sidon, he began to preach to the Sidonians. And they said, my goodness, this is the most incredible speech. This isn't a man, this is God. And he took the glory to himself. And the Bible says God struck him with worms. 
and he died. And so there we see that God is able to deal with those in authority. That we don't have to take on that burden ourselves. That we can say, whether it's a good authority or a bad authority, I need to realize God's allowing them to be there or God has put them there for a reason. I don't see the reason. And as we talked about last week, we've even seen how God, to fulfill prophecy, is allowed horrible things to happen. For instance, if you look in the scriptures, it's very plain. Before the second coming of Christ, Israel would once again be a nation. Well, that didn't happen for almost 2,000 years. But then after Hitler was Hitler, and after six million Jews were brutalized and murdered, the Jews throughout Europe, the Jews in America, the Jews in Russia, the Jews throughout the world, literally almost in every country of the world, you've got black Jews from Ethiopia, and you've got Mexican Jews from all over the South American country. You, you have every kind of Jew in the world. And they all began to flood back to Israel. And within a few years, by 1948, Israel once again became a nation. And then in 1967, they took over Jerusalem. So God wanted Hitler? No, God didn't want Hitler. But if you look at Germany in particular, but all of Europe, they were full of pride. They were full of insolence. And they had once been the hub of Christianity. The missionaries that were sent throughout the world came from Europe. But they had turned their backs on God. They became a post-Christian era. And in their pride, God broke them and humbled them as a country until most of Europe, especially until recently, has, has been in extreme poverty, has been in extreme difficulty. And even today, you go over to Europe, it's just a very anti-Christ uh, country throughout Europe, through all the different countries. It's really, really a sad situation. When, when you look at, probably if you were to name the two greatest events since Jesus Christ, one would be England with John Wesley and George Whitfield, the Methodist revival. And the second singular incident would be before that, which was the Reformation period where Martin Luther brought us out of the Dark Ages. Um, they're in Germany. England was the, the hub. Germany was the hub. Now, you can barely find Christians there at all. And these giant cathedrals that, used, that seat 3,000 people, now you'll find three or four people on the front row, and that's it. You'll find more hoodlums outside on the steps then you'll find people in the church. See, God, God can't stand by and say, who much has been given, much is not going to be required. And so God will raise up Hitlers and Mussolinis and Clintons, and he'll do this kind of thing to, to break his people, to cause his people to humble themselves, to cause his people to, I mean... <clears throat> It's just amazing how in 1963 they said separation of church and state. In our Constitution, there's not the word separation, there's not the word church, and there's not the word state. 
And just here a couple of years ago, David Barton, he went up on the steps of the Congress as the congressmen were walking in saying, why is there separation of church and state? They said, it's the First Amendment. He handed him an amendment. He goes, would you please read it? The guy reads it going. He goes, can you please show me where the word church is? No. He couldn't. Yeah, it's in there. They all swore. These congressmen, our congressmen, swore that those words were there. The word church and state and separation. And those three words aren't even found in our Constitution. But yet they swear up and down, it's there. All it says is that one religion, like England, they had the Anglican religion ran the government. They said, never again will we have a religion, like in Italy, you got the Roman Catholic religion, running the government. That is the state religion. All other religions are illegal or won't be funded by the government or whatever. We will not have a government. We will not have a religion funded by the government. We will not have one religion that dominates our country. That's all it says. And so today, you go to Congress saying, well, is the congressional building a public place or is it a private institution? Oh, it's a public building. Well, how is it that Congress can open in prayer, but you can't do it in school? The leaders of our country open their meetings in prayer, but yet don't mention God or don't even have the Ten Commandments put on the wall of in school. It's idiotic. It's crazy. But in 1963, when prayer left the schools, every Christian should have been so pierced to the heart, they should have laid prostrate and not been able to get up. But yet, we're heading into the post-Christian era where Christians are going, who cares? There's no big deal. And then you look at the charts. The wall builders, they have a really neat chart where it just shows drug addiction, teenage pregnancy, illiteracy. The, if you look at the scale from 1963 to the day, I mean, up before that, the, it, the line is just almost exactly on the, on the scale. 1963, teenage pregnancy, whew, literacy. Whew, it's just, I mean, these straight lines. And then interesting enough, in 1983, it changed. All of a sudden, it leveled out for a couple years. And then it took off again. And they said, how could it level off for those few years? And if you look, in those couple of years, it, I don't remember how many thousands of Christian schools started in those couple of years in America. And that is what changed for those few years, what went on. You can't mock God. God has given us so much. And then to say, we don't want you now in our affairs. God's going to take that personally. What's our response? Our response is, it's not fighting against flesh and blood. It's fighting on our knees, the principalities. It's not the world quit being wicked. It's the church quit being wicked. It's not the world quit talking like that. It's Christians start talking to God. And I'll tell you what, if God's people will humble themselves, this world would be turned upside down. But again, I'm seeing you know a few hundred people here shaking their heads up and down, absolutely. But yet, 5.30 Sunday, we'll have the same handful of people here for prayer. When it comes to the afterglow time, Sunday evening, we'll have the same 80, 90 people stay around who do it. The prayer meetings will still continue to be the least attended meetings 
within the week of the church. Because we're not desperate. And God is going to do what it takes to make you desperate. I'm desperate. There's a lot of you that are desperate because we realize how bad things are. That things are still going to get much, much worse. It's interesting if you look at the great historian Gibbons. And in the study of his history, he actually does a list of what caused the Roman Empire, the last world-ruling empire, to cease. And it's pretty interesting if you look at it and then compare it to our country. But Gibbons made note that what caused the Roman Empire to decline and then eventually vanish, it's the only government, by the way, that never got overthrown, but just sort of vanished. And Gibbons says, number one, there was five reasons. There was decline and then the fall of the Roman Empire. Number one, he says, was the undermining of the sanctity and the dignity of the home. That's interesting. Because 10 years ago, 14% of our nation's children were being raised by a single parent. 10 years later, it's now 38% of the kids being raised in our country are being raised by one parent. What do you think it's going to be 10 years from now? It'll be well over 50, I guarantee it. In National City, it's 73%. Last year, it grew 3%. 73% of the kids in National City are being raised by single parents. Now, I don't see how, if you have half of the kids being raised by one parent, you're going to end up with a normal country. It's not going to happen. And of course, talking about desecrating the home in many countries, or in many states now, before the kid can graduate from kindergarten, he has to read My Two Moms and My Two Dads. That is just an out frontal blast in the face of God to say we're going to have a home with homosexual parents. And then a few years back, I don't know if you remember the guy here in San Diego, uh, or actually the, the, the lady who was a Christian, and the, the man decided to, to live with this homosexual lover, and he ended up getting custody of the son. And so the mother took him and ran, fled. I'm not going to have my son raised by my homosexual husband and his lover. I'm not going to stand for it. And she hid out. She eventually got caught. She's in prison today. Why the son got raised by the homosexual dad. This is happening all over our country. You can hardly now watch a sitcom without some kind of homosexual innuendo where the homosexual is this poor, unfortunate wonderful person being mistreated by all the narrow-minded people out there who aren't you know willing to let things evolve and expand and let your mind open up to these greater avenues of the way things can be no it's sick it's diabolical what they're doing and how they're trying to undermine the, the home secondly was higher taxes for what public monies they begin to reward people for laziness, basically. And of course, that's Clinton's basic idea. What she's saying, it doesn't matter if you work, you should make as much money as the guy who is working. And, and you, can't, you can't have a society where there is no work ethic and, and people are rewarded for, for having no ethic. No, if you don't work, you don't eat. 
if you're a bum and you drop out of school, you're not going to get a good job. That's the way life works. If you're diligent and work hard, you'll get a better job and you'll be able to make better money. That's, that's good. That's healthy. That's the way it should be. If you want to be diligent, you want to work hard, then you can make it. If you want to be lazy and sit around and watch Oprah Winfrey and whatever else, you may have to learn how to you know, run your VCR better than anybody else, but you're not going to be rewarded by a check coming in the mail. But yet, that's what's happening. People, I, I've known several people who quit their job because they can make more money on welfare. And so it's like, why work when I can get much better than the pay they're wanting to offer me down at wherever because I can get paid better uh, through the, the welfare system. And of course, that's way over. And of course, now also with the prison, the prisons, um, we're going to go, the prisons alone are going to bankrupt this. And if you look at the statistics, how many people are going in prison versus how many people are not going in prison, it's rising. And they're estimating, I know a few years back, they estimated by the year 2024 in a California, if they kept going at the rate it was going, there would be the same amount of people in prison as out of prison. And so what are they doing now? They're basically saying, oh, well, oh, you did a stole something. Uh, that's just four hours. We'll get you in and get you out. We won't keep you in jail. And so now the, the jail, you know, we're at 400 capacity here in Chula Vista. 400 more percent than they plan on being there. And most of the jails in our country are at 400 percent. Um, and so, um, again, when you've got an immoral country, it, it spirals downwards ever so quickly. But again, when we tell them, don't pray in schools, but you're all evolved. All you are is a happer chance because of the evolutionary process. You were once an animal that's evolved. All you are is, an, uh, you know, by chance, uh, you're an animal. So they start acting like animals. You're from slime, so they start acting like slime. Um, it makes sense to me. You tell them they're from an animal, they act like an animal. You tell them they're from slime, they act like slime. Well, thirdly, he says that there was a mad craze for pleasure and sports. They wanted the sports more exciting and more brutal, and that was their, that's what made the country was their sports, which is interesting today where you see so many people. That's their life is sports. Baseball or football or soccer or whatever, that's, that's their life. And you see that not just in our country, but throughout the countries in the world where you know, their team loses and they're killing people because their team lost. And uh, again, in our country, we, we want the sports more brutal. We want the sports more exciting. And we're heading that direction where you got the gladiator things types happening more and more all the time. Well, number four was their great armaments, the decay of individual responsibility. They began to raise the, the government to become a military state until now it's no longer who you are as an individual but how you are as a part of the state folks that's communism the communism says it's not what's best for you but it's best for what's all the comrades that's that's communism and that's happening in our country right now it's not the individual rights it's what's best for the community it's not doesn't matter what's right or wrong concerning you it's just the fact that what's best for the country and folks you can't you cannot take away the individual rights of a person without god standing up for that individual person 
And so they're wanting you to lose your identity and let it melt within the, the community or melt within the country. And no, we want to stand and fight for our country, but as individuals, we're fighting for our country. And then number five, the decay of religion, it became a form only, losing the touch with life and losing the power to guide people. That's interesting. Gibbon says that religion turned into a form, but there was really no cutting edge to give people guidance. There was really no cutting edge to uh, people's lives in reality. Here we have this month in the Christian Times, it says these are the statistics. In America, attendance in church is the lowest it's ever been in 20 years. Right now, 85%, 85% of churches in America said they had a decrease in membership. Every single year, 4,000 churches approximately are shutting their doors in America. Now, that's pretty radical. Of course, within the Calvary chapels, we've been starting now um, close to 100 churches every year. And uh, last year, it went over 100 churches in America alone. In India, we're, we're starting about 27 churches every week uh, in India. But, you know, the almost a quarter of the population of the world is there in India. You know, we're just a spit in the bucket here. Uh, over there, there's literally tens of millions of people. We're here, we have, you know, 270 million. Uh, over there in India, they're, close, they're getting close to a billion. So um, it's a whole nother story. A lot more people. But again, we're seeing that decline in the church. We don't see it so much here, but in the denominations around us and in our community, we're definitely seeing that take place. And so, again, I say this to you to try to say, look, here is a country that went extinct, and we mirror that country. The Roman Empire, a world-dominating force, became non-existence. It was so big, it was so grandiose, it was so powerful, you can go all over Europe and find Roman ruins everywhere. Yugoslavia, Hungary, Italy, Germany, Austria, wherever you go, you'll find Roman ruins all over the place. You can't, you, you can't hardly dig in Europe without finding some kind of Roman coin. It was just so immense. The country is just so immense, but yet it's extinct. And so again, I, I, I firmly believe that we are clearly on our last fumes as our country if we don't see some serious repentance. There is some good news. I mean, uh, at the Promise Keepers, the news wouldn't show what was really there. But the largest gathering in the history of our country were men gathered there to pray all day uh, at the, the Promise Keeper event there. You were there, weren't you, John? Did you go? Yeah, that was, it was incredible to see uh, probably two million men there, the largest crowd ever. And uh, it was phenomenal that, that men would come from all over the country, not even counting them in, in the capitals that were praying. So there are some good signs, but I'm afraid it's at the sprint. It's not at a real common ebb of really seeking the face of God. So again, only God can touch our hearts to put aside our pleasures and our entertainment and our food and our sports and, and to really say, God, 
I, li I realize life is about a vapor, and our country is about a vapor, if uh, there's not some serious change going on in a hurry. Well, we go on down to verse 2 here tonight. <clears throat> therefore, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So as God is built within the fabric of a universe, he's, he's reaping and sowing punishment. There's many natural consequences that God has built in. If you lie in a relationship, that relationship will deteriorate if there's not trust in that relationship. God built that in. God built trust into our universe. And so if there's not an honesty in your relationship, your relationship will decay and fall apart. That natural consequence. In the same way, God has built within mankind authority. He's built that. We need to be under authority. We want to be under authority. We want to be submissive, and we want those under us to be submissive. We really do. That's part of being made in the image of God. And so God's built right within the very structure that if you're not submissive, you're going to be punished. It's not God judging you. It's not you being judged. It's you judging yourself. Because God's giving these little things, these little rules that man has made up to cause your heart to have to submit. Now, submission in and of itself is a negative thing. It's supposed to be. If you love chocolate cake and I said, here's a big piece of chocolate cake, submit and eat it right now. Okay, you know, boy, you're a tyrant, you know. There's no submission there. It's already something you like to do. It's already something you're bent towards doing. It's already something you want to do. There's no submission. But if you're heading in that direction, you've got to put on your brakes and you've got to take a right turn. You've got to do exactly what's not in your nature to do, what you already hate to do, what you don't want to do, and the way you are, you want to do the opposite of that. And then to have to do that, if you do it willingly, God is able to change your character. He's getting out his spiritual sandpaper and, and knocking off those edges to make you a more honorable person. And so government is there. And so we have all of these rules. Park here. Don't park there. Go this speed limit. Pay this amount of taxes. You know, and we have all of these rules. And our inclination is to do what's easiest. It says... 10-minute parking. I know I'm going to be in there an hour. Who's going to know? You see, your rebellion, you see, is a lack of character on your part. And if you can follow through and park in that 10-minute spot for an hour, that says a lot about you. And you say, well, it's a private area. What are they going to do about it? Well, that's the neat thing about the way authority works out. It will catch up with you. Because you will do it again, and you will do it again, and you will do it again, until eventually you will get caught, and God will make sure the punishment goes to the nth degree, especially if you're a Christian. Have you ever noticed how non-Christians can get away with murder? In the Oval Office, in front of it, anyway. But have you noticed how Christians can't get away with the easy, simplest little things? It's because God God is not God wants to change us. So he's not going to let you get away with it. And so again, 
if you can do it, there's something wrong. There's a rebellion in your heart. There's a lack of submission in your heart. And it's serious. Oh, get, get out of It's only 10-minute parking. I was only in there. And what's the big deal? Nobody else was even around. It was 10 o'clock at night. And there's, you know, nobody even place at that time. It's the point. The point is, is that was the rule. And you didn't do it. Period. And see, this is as Christians, we are called to live a life above reproach. And so it wouldn't matter if it's midnight and there's no stores on the whole block open. You still don't do it. And if you can have that heart of submission, go the extra mile, you see. God is able to do that work in your life. Look over, if you would, to 1 Peter with me, chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 11, <coughs> Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct, listen to this, this word's almost gone out of our country now, honorable among the Gentiles, non-believers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will speak against you as evildoers, whether you did it or not, they're going to assume that you're like everybody else and you did it. They may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Honorable. Honor. That word's almost gone from our society. But honor says, I'm doing the right thing because of conscience' sake. It's like Abraham Lincoln who realized he got a, a nickel too much. And so he walks ten miles back to return a nickel. Do you remember that story they used to teach <laughs> back before they decided that you know, he had sex with all the slave girls or whatever it was they made up about him. That's honor. Who would know? It doesn't matter who would know. And God is going to test you on that. I, I had a, just a few months back, three times in one week, people gave me the wrong change. From a few pennies to several dollars. And in each time, it's just like, I was tired, I didn't want to mess with it, I didn't care, you know. No, i got to do it. And, and so you stop, you go, you gave me too much change. And it's God fully testing you. But in the same way, God is trying to see if you will be honorable. He wants to make you honorable. That uh, true story about Tozer. He had preached a sermon on honesty. And the next day on Mondays, he would go down to the library and read and relax and he got on the bus there in Chicago and he gave some money and got some money back and went and sat down and, and there on the way he realized he gave him too much money. This is several years ago, it was 60 cents too much. And he realized, I can buy a sandwich, I can get a Coke instead of just eating my banana here that I got. And, and he realized, man, this is going to be a great day. And then he, you know, he's there thinking this for a few days, I can't keep this money. And so he's getting off the bus. He says to the bus driver, um, 
You may not know it, but you gave me too much change. He says, I know I gave you too much change. He goes, really? He goes, yeah, I just wanted to know if you practiced what you preached. <clears throat> so he was there. He was a member in his church. Wanted to know whether the preacher really believed in honesty or not. And so again, the world's looking on and they need to see us, those people going that extra mile. The world around us is sloppy. We're not to be. We're to take seriously realizing God has given us these authorities to submit to Him. And so therefore, we're not to resist the authorities. Now, there are those exceptions, like we talked about in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. If they're telling you to disobey God, obey God rather than man. I have school teachers from time to time going, oh man, I... There was one of my students and their parents were divorcing and they were going through all this hard time and they were there in my class after school crying and, and there was nothing else I could tell them but about the Bible and I prayed for them and man, I, I know that if I got caught, I'd get fired. I'd, Praise God, get fired. <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have much reward in heaven. Go for it. I mean, we're called to preach the gospel. We're called to be a light and a witness everywhere. Well, the government doesn't want me. So what? Well, disobey the government then. I, at that point, you see, the government has told you to do something that God has told you to do. They said don't do it. God said to do it. We got several police officers. The same thing. They'll arrest some guy and they'll lock the doors there. They got him in the back seat and they start taking the long route to the jail. And there they just witness to them the entire way and they pray with them and everything. And uh, it's just a great time. And occasionally they get reprimanded for it and they say, well, yeah, okay, well. And they do it again. And they're going to keep doing it until they get fired or, or whatever. But th they're fully convinced that God has made them a minister not just to arrest people, but to witness to them on the way to the jail. And... Uh, <laughs> And I say, go for it. I'll stand behind you. You get fired. Uh, you can come and stay with me and I'll share as long as I can. That's an honorable thing to disobey the government when they're telling you the exact opposite of what God's word. But those are very rare cases. So again, if you resist, if you resist the ordinance, number one, the government is there, the authority is there to show God's hatred for evil. So God has made the government to bring judgment on themselves. So God wants evil to be evil, so therefore the government is to say, this is wrong, and I want everybody to know it. So number one, the government is there to show evil or wrong, to really be wrong. And then in verse 3 it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Again, typically in most situations, the government is not a terror to you if you're doing the right thing. There's other verses in the Bible that clearly talk about the government being a terror when you're doing the right thing. And we have many examples, even in the life of Paul, even Paul's lifetime. Uh, you know, Herod killing all the children two years old and, and uh, under there in Bethlehem when the, after the Magi left and so forth. But number two we see there that the government in the end of, part, end of verse three there 
is, to sh is, is God wants to bring peace and order. So if you do good, you will have praise from the same. So they're there to bring about order and to say this is good, to see peace, to see order. Number three, verse four it says, for he is God's minister, that's pretty radical, to you for good. So number three, is there a protector of the good? Number one, they want to show God's hatred for evil. Two, they want to show God's desire for peace and order. Number three, they're a protector of the good. A matter of fact, in Psalms 82, verse 6, the Lord there goes as far to say they are gods. It uses the word Elohims, gods. And Jesus makes a play on that in, in the Gospel of John. The word Elohim is the word for God or the word judge or the word authority. And there he makes a play on the words because they are like God on the earth. You get a judge and he says you live or you die or you go to prison or you die or um, you pay this fine or else. And so they have, there, there is no greater authority. And so we have the different authorities in our, in our world that, that that's it. The next one after that is God. And so the Lord says, you judges are, and he, the same word in Hebrew for judge, or the same word for the govern, government, is the same word for gods. And there it's making a clear indication that you are, the buck stops with you, so you better be right. And they are. They are there for, to minister good. Then if you do evil, you be afraid, for he does bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So number four, he's there to punish the evil. Number one's to show that God hates evil. Number four is he's there to punish those who do wrong. And number five, it says, therefore you must be re you must be submissive, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience sake. So number five, they're there to punish the evil and to cause the rest of us to say, I don't want to be humiliated and I don't want to defame God. And so out of conscience sake, you'll do what's right when you see others who did the same thing you did and got caught. And you are doing the same thing and didn't get caught, that it would cause you to wise up. Doesn't that happen? Everybody's speeding down the freeway and all of a sudden you see that light and you go, <gasps> you know, you're, you're afraid and there's terror. And, and then you see the guy right behind you who's going the same speed as you are gets pulled over. Everybody slows down, you know. <laughs> and, and it's funny how they are there to, to keep people who are doing evil to stop. You, you see that where some guy sees a cop going the other direction on the freeway and he slams on his brakes. It's like, hey, you know, you can't jump over the divide here. But there's just this, there's just this fear in their heart. There's this fear in their heart because they knew they were doing wrong. And they were just radically convicted by it. We want to live in such a way that when we see the cops, there isn't the terror. There's just, hey... I don't care if they're there or not. And so again, that's, that's the way it's going to be honorable before uh, God. And so when they speak evil of us, they'll be ashamed. And not only that, but on that day, they'll have seen our good works and glorify God in heaven. 
And in verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. So number one, taxes. Again, I say very plainly to you, we are to walk by faith as Christians. And as you study money in the Bible, you discover that God will give you the amount of money that works with Him in the equation. You try to run your money without God in the equation, it won't work. Money is spiritual. And God will multiply it. God will cause it to last. God will give you wisdom to use it. But if you take God out of the equation, God will say, I'm out of the equation, and all the natural consequences will eat your money up. And so again, when we come to, as Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God that which is God's. And so people say, I can't afford to pay my taxes. The only reason you don't have money to pay your taxes is because you haven't been honoring God with your money. Well, I can't afford to tithe. You haven't been honoring God with your tithe. And so because of that, God just says, I love you, but I've got to take my hands off, off the whole financial thing. You run your own finances. But you'll discover that it won't work. It doesn't matter how much money you make. All the time. I talk to people, oh man, if I could just make an extra $400 a month, that's it. And then a year from then, they're making $500 a month more. The, the week after I could talk to me, after I talked to them, they're, they're out and they got a big raise and, and whatever happened. And, and the next year, they're more in debt than ever. Man, if I could just make another $500 a month. That's what you said yesterday, last year when you said you needed $400 a more a month. And you end up with $500 more a month. And now you still need another $500 a month. I, I would dare to think that if you got another $500 a month, it still wouldn't be enough. And that's what Haggai says very plainly. God puts a hole in your money back. Haggai says that. And all of a sudden, it's just, it's not there when it should be there. What happened? Because it's, it's spiritual. God has given you enough money to live on supernaturally by His Spirit. It will work. How will it work? I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know how it works. I still don't understand how my light switch works. But I hit that switch and whoo, there's light. I, I'm just very happy. I put this little piece of metal in the ignition of my car and it starts up. That's all I know about cars. I don't know all about the engine and everything and how it all, but I don't have to. Somebody else knows and it works. Well, how can I tithe and pay my taxes and still have enough money? I don't know, but it works. Give to Caesar that which is due Caesar. Give to God that which is God's. I don't know how it works, but it works. And I've tested it out myself, and many of you have tested it out. I cannot explain it, but it works. 
and don't mess around with it. So in reality, in reality, this, this is the, the situation. If you don't submit to the authorities, it will catch up with you. I guarantee it. If you are trying to get around paying all the taxes that you're supposed to pay, it will catch up you and with you in one way or another. Whether you get 10 flat tires in one month and all the money sucks out that way, or whether your new clothes gets ripped, or whether you're sick for three months and can't work, I guarantee you there's going to be a hole stuck in your money bag. I don't understand how, but I guarantee it, you won't, you won't have the taxes to spend. All right, I cheated the government $2,000. You won't have that money. It will make wings like an eagle and fly away, the proverb says. It, it won't stay around. You won't have the $2,000 that you should have gave to the government to spend. I guarantee it. It won't help your finances one bit. And the same with the tithe. All right, I, I didn't tithe this year. I, I, I've got that money. I guarantee you, you will never spend that money on what you want to spend that money on. You'll end up spending it on things that will not add to you whatsoever. It'll keep you at ground zero at best. That's the way it works. And so to give taxes to whom taxes to do, give customs to whom customs is due, give honor to whom honor is due. What's the Bible says? Honor me with your tithes. That's the very word used. Honor God with tithes and offerings. That's the very word used. And if you study that word out, honor, you'll find it used tied to money. First Timothy chapter 5, as well as other places, it's used as referring to finances. So taxes to customs, in other words, you're on a toll road, pay the toll. You know, don't try to sneak around. You see people over there at Coronado going, man, I don't want to pay that 80 cents. And there they go through the diamond lane and there's the cop on the other side giving them a $300 ticket. They didn't give customs. To whom custom is due. And give fear to whom fear. Another reverence to whom reverence is due. Don't uh, be cocky. If you're in school, show your school teachers the, respects they, the respect they deserve. You see the police officers or a governor or an assemblyman or your mayor, give them the respect that is due that position. Well, the person's not worthy of respect. That very well may be. But the position is still worthy of respect. Even if the person in that position is not worthy of respect, respect the position. Because you cannot show a lack of honor and God to, to bless that. And so, again, give honor to whom honor is due, give taxes to whom taxes due, give customs to whom custom is due, and you'll find that the Lord will indeed honor that. Interesting, another thing on honor, it says in Proverbs 3.27, to give honor to that person when it's within your power to do it. In our country, we have a very rare blessing and responsibility to vote. And I won't ask how many people voted this last year. But it is your responsibility to vote. But by the way, this year, the voting turnout was the lowest it's ever been since 1956. 
There was nine people less that voted in this last presidential election than the one before. And amongst those people from 18 to 30, it was even a farther drop than that. Did you know that 33% of those who do vote claim to be Christians? 38% or 33%. But this last year, it dropped down to 28%. That one-fifth of the Christians didn't show up to vote. If the Christians would vote, we would have people that are pro-family, that are against abortion, that are ethical people. They're out there running. I, I, I mean, imagine that, if you would. Here's a guy out there saying, let me serve you. And we don't even have the unction. We don't even have the care to show up and with a pencil make a little mark in a box or to push a little dot in a paper. Folks, that's just out and out laziness. That's out and out apathy. Well, I was busy one time every four years. I mean, I mean, come on, guys. You know, and then the other things that go on every couple of years. No, we're talking something that takes three to five minutes, maybe an hour before that to study up on it. We have right here at the church a form that tells you who is pro-life, who is pro-family, who's out there voting for homosexual rights and who aren't. And there you can take that and go right down the list. They've asked all the people the questions and you decide who you want to vote for. We're not telling you who to vote for. But we're just telling you very clearly who would support Christian type of principles and who won't. It's very plain right on there. It takes all of two seconds to look over that. Again, I, I think it's a real slap in the face of who? Once again, the church. Clinton, if those who were Christians voted both times, if they voted for the person who was pro-family, Clinton never would have got elected either time. But because 38% of Clinton's votes were from the quote-unquote Christian community. That's, that's mind-boggling. And that was on the second time. After he clearly got up and said, I'm for homosexuality, I'm for abortion, and then 38% of the second election, Christians vote for him. You know, one is either people who are claiming to be Christians clearly aren't Christian in heart. But it, it blows my mind. It really blows my mind. I think, here's what I think happens. I think our God is money. Even in the church. And I think that people go, hey, the economy's good. It's not fixed. It's not broken. Don't fix it. Leave it alone. Clinton has put more money in my billfold. I don't care that he's propagated homosexuality. I don't care that babies are being aborted all the way up to nine months. None of that really affects me personally. And, of course, the number of the other laws that he's taken off the books that are against the family. Bottom line is, I've got a good job. I just want things to stay status quo because my finances are the most important thing in my life. And that's the first thing God will attack. And if that's what it takes, for, again, for us to get desperate, God's going to do it. And, uh, again, I, I know that I'm not the only one teaching this around the nation. 
And if we here, in our little piece of the pie of the church community, as our nation, in a part of our world, can get it here tonight. In other words, you can hear what I'm saying and compute it. There is hope. I want to look at just a couple more scriptures I forgot. Really important, and we'll, we'll end tonight. They're all in Psalms. Psalms chapter 11. Very important. I, I can't end without showing these verses. It wouldn't tie in what I wanted to say tonight. And then we'll quit. In, in Psalms chapter 11, verse 3, it says, and so anyway, the government, as I said, they're to show God's hatred for evil. They're to show God's peace and order. They're to be a protector of good. They're to be a punisher of evil. And then they're to, they're, by their punishing the evil, it's supposed to cause us who are walking straight to pierce our conscience, to continue to cause us to walk straight. If the government doesn't do those five things, God will get rid of the government. And think about this. Has our government been showing God's hatred towards evil? The opposite. Evil happens, they're saying, oh, it's not so evil. Because Thomas Jefferson had sex with his slave girl, so what's the big deal about me having sex in the Oval Office? At least, it wasn't, at least I didn't have a slave. I'm better than Thomas Jefferson. I mean, this is the ideology. Not to repent over evil, but to justify evil. Secondly, to show God's peace and order. Quite the opposite. To be a protector of good. Not happening. To be a punisher of evil. Not happening. They tried to punish the evil, and it was thwarted. And then to try to help those with who have a good conscience to look on the punishment of evil and go, oh, not me. What, what's the signal out there? Go for it. If the president is going to get kicked out of the presidency, why would the governor get kicked out of the governorship? Why would the mayor get kicked out of being a mayor? Why would the judge get kicked out of being a judge? You see what I'm saying? All five of these things have been violated in these last several months, which tells me, again, that our government's on the way out. And it says in Psalms chapter 11, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's out of our hands. And then in Psalms chapter 12, verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful despair from among the sons of men. Something the media isn't going to tell you how many men who tried to impeach Clinton, who are radical senators, have made it clear they're not going to run again for office. Many of the men who were at the forefront of Clinton's impeachment because of his lying under oath and because of his uh, corrupting uh, his powers as government, as, as in, in his powers as in the government there, they basically have said, if the foundations are restored, what can the righteous do? And here we see these godly men, many of them, they said, that's it. I'm out. And their time is up and they're out. And we're not talking a few. And I'll tell you, that pierces my heart. When I see some of these guys that are 60, 65 years old, they got another good 10 years to go, and they're saying, that's it, I'm out. When the president can do this and he send a clear message to the entire country that this is going to be the pattern from here on out, I don't want to be a part. And that's happened, folks. And we're going to see it big time in the next election because uh, the Democrats are very excited about that. 
and they want to get their people in there. A lot of these Republicans who are trying to do it, and Democrats too. There are Democrats that are also in the same boat. So it's not just uh, Republicans, although it's mostly that. And then in verse 8 it says, The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. What happens? Wickedness prowls on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Pretty scary verses. One more. Proverbs 14.34 Proverbs 14.34 Verses you really need to know about. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's a shame or a disgrace to any people. What's happening in our government? The handwriting's on the wall to me. What we've been afraid has been going on in secret has now been shouted from the mountaintops and our government, our country says it doesn't bother us whatsoever that a 50-year-old man is having sex in the Oval Office with a 20-year-old gal while his wife's upstairs running the country. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And the church is saying, I've got my job. We have a nice fellowship. My car's running well. It doesn't really matter to me either what they do in Washington. And what they're doing in Washington will definitely affect us here in San Diego and every part of the country. And uh, there's good news because at any point in time we want to get desperate and start praying, God will hear us and heal our land. So the ball's in our court. Lord, we come before you tonight and we ask that you would help us, Lord, to see Gibbons' view of what caused Rome to fall and here he wrote this 50 years ago and it's prophetic. We see the same exact thing happen in our country. And then we see your word, Lord, Romans 13, so clearly the five things the government must do and is not doing and if the foundations are taken away, what can the righteous do? Nothing. We have to hear from God, heaven. We have to have you, almighty God, shake this place, bring a drought to this place, bring an earthquake to this place, bring us as the church to the knees, as well as all of the prideful America who's intoxicated with their own broken success, to bring us out of our drunken estate, where pleasure and ease and money is our God and you are not being honored. Lord, we ask tonight, Lord, as we agree together at this moment in time that you would help us to turn from our wicked ways, help us to humble ourselves, help us to seek your face, that we truly could have you hear from heaven and heal our land. And Lord, I, I wish we were at a time when we could just rejoice. We've been in our time in our country when we were able to rejoice But who is our who was our president? Who was at the helm? And those who were in office were godly men who were putting down godly statutes. Help us, Lord, because it causes us to fear greatly when we see what was once so precious has been taken away from us. Let us wake up, we ask. 
from our slumber and truly seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, guys. God bless you. Bye. Now as we were getting started,